my friend sobbing in law school, saying, this is the face of communist China. Do you really want this here in America, you know, where you have a divisive saying that, well, one party is oppressed and the other party caused it and therefore we're never going to get along. That's not the way that our country works. If we're getting our pharmaceuticals from the Communist Party in China, and then we have a real need for it, they have control then over our freedom. Hello everyone, welcome to The Win Kathy Show. I'm your host, Kathy Zhan. And uh, today we're gonna talk about the gubernatorial race for the primary. And um, so specifically we'll be focusing on the uh, Maryland governor, um, governor race. Okay, so um, before we start, you know, for our uh, viewers, if you can just, uh, um, you know, click likes and uh, just make sure you are subscribed. So in the spread, our show be we really appreciate it. So as you may know that uh, for this uh, midterm election, there are 36 um, states and the territories uh, have a governor uh, races. And um, so what are the partisan composition of that? Is that 28 Republican governors and the 22, oh, totally, you know, in total in 50 states, 28 GOP versus 22 Democrats. And in this midterm, 30, in 36 states, 20 are incumbents are Republicans and 16 Democrats. So why we focus on Maryland? And um, because uh, right now, you know, as reported by some of the media, like uh, Politico, saying that there's a, a Democrats has an increasing uh, common playbook. And what is that? They are trying to boost the candidates, the GOP candidates that's endorsed by Trump. And they, what the narrative is that, um, you know, just uh, to have a very, um, some kind of uh, GOP candidate that is uh, far, you know, very right, so that uh, it can be e more easily to be defeated in the general election by the Democrats. So that's what's reported um, in the media. However, um, you know, is that the facts or truth? You know, it's just up for debate, right? So in Maryland, just uh, uh, five days ago, starting July 1st, the Democrats in Maryland started a very aggressive campaign against uh, one of the main major GOP candidate, Dan Cox, and he was, has been endorsed by President Trump. And uh, what they are saying is that um, it's the, the advertisement is like $1 million advertisement by the Democratic Governors Association. And um, their narrative is, um, you know, Dan Cox is 100% pro-life and uh, refusing to support any federal restrictions on guns. And the title is uh, Dan Cox is too close to Trump, too conservative for Maryland. And they claim that the end goal of this ad is really not to sink Cox 
Instead, they are trying to boost him in the July 19th Republican primary for governor, which, um, you know, right now in this uh, gover- uh, Republican primary in Maryland, there's a very close race between Dan Cox and the other candidate, Kelly Schultz, who is endorsed by the incumbent governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan. So, in total, in uh, you know, in this uh, Maryland uh, gubernatorial race, there are sixteen candidates: four GOPs, one Libertarian, and uh, the rest eleven uh, Democratic Party candidates. And the election will be on July nineteenth. So, indeed, you know whether this um, playbook, this strategy by the Democrats. Will work or not? You know, we'll have a discussion after I show you the interview. Um, but um, so uh, I happened to had an interview with uh, Dan Cox uh, back, you know, a couple of months ago, and uh, so it's uh, I think it's really interesting to really try to understand, you know, who is he and uh, why he is endorsed by President Trump, especially if you are from Maryland. But uh, uh, you know, overall, just nationwide in 30, 36 states, um, it seems like the governor race is also one of the major battlegrounds for the, both parties. So a brief introduction of um, Dan Cox. He studied in the Navy Academy and uh, later became a constitutional lawyer. He was elected. Currently, he serves in the Maryland House of Delegations. Delegates, the House of Delegates representing District Four, and when he was um, since he was elected in two thousand eighteen, and uh, so uh, my interview with him to of course start with why he uh, decides to run for governor. So, without further ado, let's take a look of my interview. Dan, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. It's an honor and privilege to be part. So. Then, so why do you decide to run for the governor in Maryland? Because freedom matters and we need to restore freedom in Maryland. In my background, I spent 10 years in private education. I worked uh, to expand educational alternative choice, making sure parents had options for choice for their children. And in doing that, I realized through working with the legislature that our freedoms were under attack, that actually some of the socialistic principles uh, that they are espousing in the legislature is to say that parents should not have a voice at all in their children's education. That's not true. It's not. That's it's back wrong. when. It's, well, this was in the last 20 years. Because right now people are starting to realize that during the pandemic. That's right. And it's only gotten worse now during the pandemic. And a lot of, you know, the silver lining, I guess, from the pandemic is that it's kind of awakened people to realizing what's going on, that the government is not using the school system to build up the family and to build up the opportunities for education and choice and freedom, but instead is using it to tear down our country, to tear down the family unit structure, to uh, teach children to hate one another or to be divisive, and to really cause dependency on the state. And that's obviously the exact opposite of what education is for. So, but you actually noticed 20 years ago. Well, sure. And, you know, in my background, I worked in home education. So 
as part of the private education movement and work, uh, the option for homeschooling became popular in the, in the 80s, 1980s. And of course, in the pandemic, we've seen it only explode. So for the last 17 years as a constitutional lawyer, one of the reasons why I've operated my law firm is to protect and defend parents' rights, to protect and defend uh, private schools, institutions to have education programs, and to make sure that education access and choice is available to all people. The government schools don't want that. The teachers' unions want only one choice, and that's whatever they say. And so it's, it's a fight, it's a battle, but that took me into politics in some respects, and so that's what I'm doing here, running for governor, coxforfreedom.com. One of my five points is to make education choice a primary issue for Maryland that they can have the, op the, the opportunity that parents need to have the money follow the child. Same issue in California right now, actually. It is. It's a you know it's a so universal it's a concern. It's a nationwide concern. We see this happening, especially in the blue states, such as California and Maryland. And so it's I think even more essential in the blue states to make sure the parents have that option and the choice because when the money follows the child, we all know that both public schools and private schools uh, and better. You know they they get a um, increased benefit. The children test the test scores go up and at the end of the day we have a better outcome and right now it's very bad in Maryland um, Baltimore City for instance we have a 1% test rate for graduates we have less than 50% of our graduates in Baltimore City that uh, can read at a grade level at their grade level that's just not right that's not doing them a service and so the way you fix that is you expand educational options for parents so they can say, you know what, that school is a failing school. It's not giving you a good education. We're going to take that money. We're going to take it to a private school that will make sure they get the education they need. Mm. Yeah, so in terms of the education, they are trying to get rid of the merit-based admission and they're trying to make more equity right, between different, different races. How do you see it? I see it from a natural rights and natural law perspective because we are made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. And when you look at people as people who've been made by God and therefore have been endowed by the Creator with inalienable rights, then every person that walks on the earth has something that no governor and no state can take away. And that's the right that they have to respect, to individualism, to freedom, and to the opportunity to learn and learn without state ties and, and state bondage, you know, where you have a divisive saying that, well, one party is oppressed and the other party caused it and therefore we're never going to get along. That's not the way that our country works. Our country works with empowering and building up people. And that comes when we respect individual rights. Equity reverses that. Equity is not equality. Equality is what America is built on that every, every single person is equal before God and has the same privilege and opportunity. And if they are denied a privilege and opportunity, then the law corrects that. But not so with equity. Equity says that one group has uh, particular, <clears throat> has been set aside to have more opportunities than others. And therefore, because of your particular group, which right now it might be the white Christian male, in the future it could be another group. That's why there's a problem with the equity movement. The whole equity idea is, is really a false view of our individuals and, and who we are made in God's image. And so that actually has legal ramifications 
because under natural law principles, which our Constitution is founded on, we can't treat people equally, equally if we're going to try to inculcate them with equity in the classroom. Because equity says that, okay, we're not going to hire you because of your skin color. Or, oh, you can't participate in that particular function because of your ethnicity. Well, that's not America. Yeah, but what they are saying is, oh, we need a certain percentage right. for each kind of race or, or for particular race, right? right? So right. Um, what do you think that's, what's the problem over there? Well, the problem for um, any kind of affirmative action program that says that we have to meet a quota is that <clears throat> that's demeaning to the individual. Individuals have, with, with equality, have opportunities to compete. Competition's good because it says that that person can shine. Every single person has their own gifts. And when they're given the opportunities to utilize those gifts and to expand that, they can shine in what they've been called to do. And that's how innovation happens. That's how you have your future Elon Musks and your future you know, inventors and your future patents. People who really get motivated to use their gifts to advance freedom and to better society. The problem though, when you have quotas, you're just picking certain people because of their skin color or their background, their ethnicity. And the end result of that is, it demeans that person that was picked, number one. And number two, it also uh, demeans the job they're doing because they might not be necessarily qualified for the job. So it's a really bad program. Now what we need to do instead is, if we're saying that, okay, in this particular workforce, you only have this demographic represented. And we can prove that that's because of actions that are wrong, that the company maybe didn't favor a particular group. Well, that's a different issue. We can deal with that. It's called civil rights laws. I do that in my legal practice, uh, my other hat. I defend people who have been discriminated against under the Civil Rights Code, both in Maryland and federally. It's illegal, whether it's for because of uh, disenfranchising a minority or whether it's reverse discrimination against a, uh, a white individual. It's, it's both illegal under federal law right now. So I always try to ask the question, well, how, how can you have affirmative action become legal? Because somebody could sue. And the only way to overcome that is if you have a court judgment saying, well, we're going to go ahead and allow this illegality because of the greater good of affirmative action. But as I mentioned before, it's not a greater good. So under the current uh, GOP governor, Larry Hogan, Maryland uh, is doing a lot of business with China, like uh, $3.2 billion a year. However, Dan Cox um, saw a serious problem in that. So what, why is that? Well, in Maryland, we do quite a bit of business with the CCP, unfortunately. Um, I'm all for freedom and for the Chinese people to be free. And so I think that if there are free Chinese businesses, we should do business with them. But that's not what's happening in Maryland entirely. In Maryland, we have a, an office uh, for business in Rockville that's dedicated especially to doing international contracts with a, the office in Beijing. So we're one of the few states in the United States that has an office in the CCP uh, system in Beijing, China where we do business with communist universities in China. 
The Chinese Communist government has contracts in Maryland. We do biomedical research contracts, whereas the University of Maryland's entire research department is run in, in large part with CCP money. That kind of um, entanglement is dangerous for freedom because we should not be empowering the communist Chinese government, which is oppressive in China. Right now there's Uyghurs in concentration camps. Right now the Falun Gong is being persecuted. Right now Christians can't meet openly. They have to go underground in their churches or else be registered. All of this is not freedom. And yet here we are in Maryland, the free state, doing contracts and business. $3.2 billion a year we do through the Beijing office. And that's going to change on my watch. I'm going to say no more with the CCP. If a business has a Communist Party member who's an owner, they're not going to get a contract in Maryland. How about the other um, kind of relationships in relates to this pandemic, the treatment, drugs, and other things? Oh yeah, well it's, you know, it's, as we all know, the big pharma industry, the pharmaceuticals have grown over 11 billionaires, many of who uh, were members of the Chinese Communist Party, some of who, and some of which have contracts here in Maryland. So we do biomedical research. We also have a new global pandemic center going in in Rockville, Maryland. And, and these entities will continue to allow China, the CCP, to have tremendous influence in our biopharmaceutical industry. That's concerning to me when you look at how Dr. Fauci has had these um, in, inappropriate relationships to the NIH to do um, research in China that was forbidden by the United States Congress. And that, that kind of uh, work needs to be questioned, needs to be looked into, and then we need to make sure that we don't have those, uh, those contracts. It's important because if we're getting our pharmaceuticals from the Communist Party in China, and then we have a real need for it, they have control then over our freedom because we could literally be cut off from our pharmaceuticals at a time of need, just like what happened here in Maryland. So seeing all these, uh, you know, including the infiltration by the Chinese Communist Party, so, um, yeah, how do you see, um, for the, for example, in the, peop in the state of uh, Maryland, how much of awareness people have with regards to those issues? They're becoming more aware, but honestly, we need to continue to do a lot of work in that area. A lot of people don't understand because we love the Chinese people, no one wants to look like we're discriminating. But most people don't understand that the Chinese people themselves don't want the CCP. That's why I have the largest Chinese support of any governor candidate in Maryland. No one else has hundreds of people supporting me in the Chinese community, and I've had that privilege because of one reason. Chinese Americans know what the CCP is capable of doing. Their family's going through it. They may have escaped it themselves. So they know what's, what's possible, and they also know that a lot of the issues that they have dealt with, they're starting to see come to America. And so they're concerned. I think that that is helping. And I think that the more that people hear about these stories, it's important. That's why I'm out here running. And I think it's going to make a difference. Unfortunately, a lot of our youth, though, are being brainwashed, I believe, in the public schools on some of these issues of Marxism. They're taught that Marxism is a good thing. Well, all you have to do is go down to Cuba and you can see that it's a horrible thing. You know, the gas lines and the bread lines, 
they're there. I've seen the video just as video as recent as last week. Venezuela, uh, just disasters. And even in, in uh, China, where communism has a firm hold, uh, it's not glorious. You know, they still have great needs uh, with their infrastructure, with their problems with their families. I had a friend in, in um, law school who sobbed and cried when he told his story about his wife. They found out they were expecting their second child in China. And they lived on the border of Tibet and China. The Chinese government came. They said, oh, you didn't post your period in the public square. And they tried to hide. They tried to get away from the, um, uh, you know, they tried to leave the, the, get into the countryside. They wouldn't let them leave. They said, okay, your wife has to go have an abortion on such and such a date, or else we will take her into custody. So at the end of the day, they refused the abortion. The Chinese communist agents came, the soldiers, they arrested her. They took her to the hospital and they forced her to have an abortion. I'll never forget my friend sobbing in law school, saying, this is the face of communist China. Do you really want this here in America? We need to make sure that doesn't happen. And the beginning of that, I believe, was this pandemic. Because you have over, overreaching executive orders taking possession of, of our very bodies. We're not going to let that happen on my watch. Wow. Coxforfreedom.com. The Chinese Communist government have a list of all the 50 governors of the United States yes. and uh, kind of categorize them. Yes. Friendly to China, mm -hmm. me, you know, in the middle or against, yes. ho hostile. Right. You're aware of that. I am. So what do you think of it? Mike Pompeo did us a good service to tell us about this. And he warned my governor who's a rhino, he's a Republican in name only, he is not following our conservative America First values, and he is doing business with the Communist Chinese, and he is on the list as a potential friendly, a neutral. And I think that's to cover him, because we're one of the best states for the CCP in America. $3.2 billion a year, right out of Maryland. And I think the CCP is covering for that. Obviously, at a minimum, what the, the problem that we see from that is that our state, our governor, hasn't understood the dangers that we're facing. He flew to China and did a photo op with the communist Chinese. I have a picture of it where they signed a deal for this trade relationship. That shouldn't be. The United States Constitution says that trade relationships are for the federal government, not for the state. It's actually forbidden. Governor Hogan did it anyway. So I want to reverse that and make sure we all, you know, protect our freedoms, protect those who come here. And I think that by, you know, exposing it and making sure that people understand that the CCP has very strong interests in our states, that that's going to go a long way to helping the people understand what's going on. Yeah, also it's, it's actually against the law to sign as a state. Yes. But a lot of states are doing that, including California. Yes. It's very true. And my opponent, the Hogan-picked um, individual that I'm running against, uh, the former Commerce Secretary, she signed deals with international governments. 
under Hogan's watch, and Hogan signed them with her. Our governor signed them with her. The problem with this is not only does it violate the Constitution, it, it doesn't provide for appropriate oversight of the people because no Marylander understood that we were involved in international treaties and agreements. They don't call them treaties, they call them business agreements, right. corporate agreements. Well, states are not to be doing that. We saw him fly to Paris, and he, after President Trump pulled us out of the Paris Accords, Governor Hogan flew to Paris and signed Maryland into the, into the Paris Accords. That's not right. And with the Commerce Department in Maryland, we've been signing contracts while our Commerce Secretary locked down the state from Maryland businesses. All Maryland businesses were closed except for those who she deemed essential. At the same moment, she was signing deals with international businesses and international governments to do business in Maryland and with Maryland through state contracts. So I'm going to end that. Elected officials, do they really not aware of doing that is not legal or they just wanted to do it? I think they've pushed the envelope and they've tried to get a loophole by saying that these are business agreements and they're just facilitating commerce. And we know that under the federal constitution, commerce has largely been left to the states, but it's not completely left to the states under the Dormant Commerce Clause. Under the Commerce Clause, the federal government has great authority to, to regulate commerce as well. And so I think they're just simply getting away with it through a loophole because of business and because ultimately the tax revenue comes into the federal government as well. I think they're just doing it. But the problem needs to be examined. I think we need to look at it more carefully, especially now with Ukraine and Russia and China. I think we need to be very cautious about these agreements. Yeah, because Chinese government used this business relationship to deal with the state yeah. level That's right. government here. And by doing that, they bypass all of the scrutiny that they might have received uh, from the federal government's uh, spy agencies or agencies that review business agreements the Department of Justice that might want to review uh, the contracts to make sure that they're complying with federal law. So some of that's being bypassed. I think they're still looking carefully. I think the NSA and other groups, the federal government obviously still protects us. But it is a problem. It's a growing problem. And I think it's just unfortunate that we've, um, and, I, and I support um, commerce. I support open relationships, but not at the detriment of freedom. It's always been a concern of mine. ever since. You know, reading about, and I was born at the time when Nixon signed the agreement with China. Okay. So, but reading about that, I've always been concerned about not having a bright line, though, between private enterprise and the CCP. We could, you know, we could and we still can say, no, no, if you want freedom, then give it to the people. Get the government, get the Chinese Communist Party out of the, the business. And once that happens, China will blossom, I think. Yeah. The government will be kept much more limited. Yeah, now they, in China, even though they said they are private uh, enterprises, but they have the law saying that each and every individual uh, entities, you have the ob obligation to turn the, in, turning, turning the intelligence to the government. There it is. Yeah. So that way they can use their business structure to basically continue to gather power and information for an oppressive regime.
Yeah. That's and, not right. Yeah, and for example, how they use the business relationship mm -hmm. to control the state legislatures here in, in California. A few years ago, that one state senate a senator raised right. a, a, a resolution to condemn the persecution of Falun Gong, you know, yeah. just as a expression, right? Right. The Chinese consulate in San Francisco wrote a letter, yeah. also made a phone call, say, you know, if you do that, it's gonna hurt our relationship, business relationship. Really? Yeah. Mm. Well, I think that's where Americans should draw the line because we believe in freedom and the natural and individual liberties that everyone should have. So to say, okay, well, we'll go ahead and do billions of dollars of business while you arrest people and put them in camps, that's not right. It's got to end. And I think Maryland can help lead the way in that. Maryland has led the way with business growth in some ways. I mean, we do have a great vibrant um, uh, industrial center. We have a, a kind of a, almost like California, a little bit of a, um, a cyber community because of the federal government being right there in Maryland. And uh, not quite as big as Silicon Valley, but it's close. I mean, we have some good businesses in Maryland. I think we can lead the way in this regard to expand the freedoms for all people and, and say, let's draw a hard line here. We're not going to do business with the communists, no. And we're going to require that you release your people. You know, stop arresting them. Stop, start providing these freedoms that we have in the Bill of Rights. It works. I mean, just look. You know, why would the Chinese want to do business with us? Because we're prosperous. It's a good nation. They need our money. Exactly. And it can work there too. Yes. Great. Yeah. So, anything else you would like our audience to, you know, know about? So yeah, I just want the Chinese American people to understand your voice is stronger than you might know. When we rise up, when we stand up, when we speak out, as you are doing, and I thank you for it, it impacts culture. And many of the socialists that I deal with in the Maryland legislature have nothing to say to someone like you because you know much more than I, than a white American male. You can speak to these issues. And so I would just plead with your audience to consider how they might run for office. We need more Chinese Americans in office. We need you to run for delegate. We need to run for school board. We need you to run for Congress, run for president. And that's going to make a big difference, it's going to change things. I'm honored and privileged, Kathy. Thank you. Great. Thank you. So that's uh, Dan Cox, the GOP candidate for the um, governor of uh, Maryland. So as I, you know, talked about before, there are four, totally 16 candidates in this race, four from the Republican Party, one Libertarian, and 11 in the Democrats. And uh, um, in the Democratic Party includes, like, uh, the former Attorney General of Maryland, Doug Gassler, former Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez, among others. And uh, among the four GOP candidates, um, Dan Cox uh, and Kelly Schultz, the two of them are having, it seems to be the major players, the uh, front runners. And the one is endorsed by the pres former President Trump, the other endorsed by the incumbent Governor Larry Hogan. 
So actually, I have, you know, during this interview, we talked about other issues, which um, Dan Cox also expressed uh, his view on how he viewed the, um, the federal restrictions and especially the current governor's um, restriction during new restriction policies during uh, this pandemic. But uh, for the reasons that you know, you know, we cannot really show this part of the interview on YouTube. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I can put that part on Safe Chat maybe tomorrow. So for, you know, especially if you are interested in, you know, really learning about him, uh, and uh, especially, I don't know, in among our audience right now, if there are anyone from Maryland, if you could let me know, let our, us know, you can leave a message there. So, yeah, and uh, it seems that, uh, you know, just a few days ago, the Democratic Party, the, which is called the Democratic Governors Association, launched a huge campaign to actually they said they want to boost Dan Cox's candidacy so that he can make it to the general election and can face the Democratic Party candidate. And they expect in that way he can be easily defeated. So how do you think of this strategy, right? So would that work? Would that really kind of, um, you know, make the, first of all, um, the, I think if this strategy just try to make a sense of it, they are hoping to maybe just um, kind of scare the, some of the Republican supporters saying, hey, you cannot support a far, you know, a really a Trump endorsed candidate. So that, um, um, that that's one kind of, uh, you know, effect, right? And uh, then the other effect could be more um, maybe Republicans will support Dan Cox, which they claim in that way the Democratic Party candidate can easily defeat him in the general election. Would that be the case? Right. So it could go either way. So what do you think? You know, you really wanted to see how you feel, how you assess such kind of strategy, would that work for Democratic Party or they would regret that they boost a Trump-supported uh, candidate? So it's going to be interesting to see. So right now, you know, what happened in the other states, it seems to be that the results are mixed. For example, in the state of Illinois, the, the, the Democratic Governors Association and um, the current Democratic governor, um, Pittsburgh, they actually, you know, spent uh, tons of money, like tens of millions of dollars. And uh, so the uh, Republican candidate was actually is our, you know, uh, a Trump, in, like a more like a. a like a more conservative candidate. Uh, however, in Pennsylvania, in, uh, in Pennsylvania also, the um, candidate for the governor is uh, who won the primary, won the GOP primary was the state senator 
Doug Mastriano, who was really a Trump supporter. Um, so, you know, would they, would the Democrats uh, really, like, think we'll, we'll get their uh, pick at the end of the general election, or they will regret doing so, right? So let's uh, take a look at uh, some of your comments. Um, okay, um, let's see. Yeah, oh, yeah. So wanted to really thank Daniel and the Zoom for your kind of support. Really appreciate it. And um, the Louis said, I like this guy. Maryland needs his leadership. And um, so, Larry, you said that he sounds like a winner. And um, the, and uh, I saw someone, I think that's uh, uh, John or someone said uh, he is, you know, facing a steep hill. So it, Maryland is a um, pretty blue state. And uh, well, but since 2014, um, the current governor, Larry Hogan, he won the governor's seat and uh, has been holding that for two terms. He's termed out uh, this year. So, and I saw some discussion about the partisanship. So, let's see. Serena said, trusting either party is stupid. And uh, only two, Jeff said, only two parties is stupid also. So, yeah, how do you think, you know, um, is, um, how does the partisanship plays here? But um, right now, um, some comments are saying, uh, you know, I, I think the issue may not be just partisanship because this, uh, in this race right now, it's about, it's among the uh, Republican Party, but it's more about, um, on the surface, it's more about whether the Republican Party is uh, Trump's party or, you know, just a more kind of establishment uh, Republican. But maybe deep down, it's more about uh, the America first policy. What do you think? But, and Louis said uh, the most important thing is for if you're a citizen, you just need to get out to vote. And uh, that's, I, I totally agree with that. You know, really, um, no matter how we feel, the system is not perfect. However, it is, you know, demo democracy is messy and uh, the system does need room, you know, have room to improve. However, so far, it is the, you know, one of the best system on earth and uh, especially coming from countries like China and uh, the totalitarian regime, people just uh, have no rights to vote. They have no choice and uh, they cannot really voice um, with their votes. 
And here, if we just, you know, kind of be passive because just because of we think the system is not perfect, uh, I think it may work against what we intend to do. So that's just my own opinion. But we can, you know, if, you know, everybody just voice out and uh, we can always improve the, you know, have, make the efforts to improve and uh, we can just elect the uh, of people that we believe can represent us, right? Represent yourself. And uh, that's the way to move forward. Um, but um, it for you know, if you, we're just saying, okay, we just don't vote or don't do anything because we don't like it, then how can things be improved, right? Um, and Jeff said, uh, yeah, good job with the interview. Thank you. And uh, wow, they uh, really have a lot of discussion here. I think it's great. Jeff said, Wayne and Kathy are very honest, hardworking, and legit. One of the best news sources. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you all, you know, have been with us. And um, uh, we just uh, really love this country. Uh, we love, we appreciate what. America has been offering to us, you know, the new immigrants, really a lot of opportunities, a um, lot of um, hope. Although, you know, we all know it's not perfect. However, it is uh, the greatest country on earth right now. And, uh, you know, if we're really concerned about it, you know, we wanted to, we just do whatever we can to make, it, uh, make improvements, right? So, wow, Daniel, thank you again for your kind support, for your donation. Wow. Liz said, yes, as usual, Kathy, is a great interview. Thank you. Oh, Daniel asked, is asking, Kathy, are you all settled in? Um, kind of. <laughs> okay, so uh, the drive across the country really is... Uh, you know, it's quite experience. I, it's tiring. It is, um, you know, but uh, it is indeed, uh, I, overall, I really enjoy it. Right now, trying to settle down, but still a lot of work to do and uh, not totally settled down. But, um, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm going to do more travel <laughs> just down the road. I think that's, you know, it's going to be um like that for a while, going back and forth. Uh, but um, yeah, and uh, I just, uh, you know, try to do the best to keep up with the show, you know, trying to bring on, um, you know, interesting topics, interesting, interview interesting guests uh, for you um, to share with you. So uh, Jeff said, um, Jeff said that I just tried uh, during fruit. <laughs> I let it get too ripe and wasn't very good. Wow. So, Jeff, you are very brave. <laughs> I 
food. That's what I can say. But I love, I love durian fruit. But it's not a, can it, it won't be. It cannot. You know, a lot of people may not like it. Some people just for people who like it, they love it. But for people who may not appreciate the taste, the smell, you will just hate it. So if you haven't tried, just like Jeff, try it. Um, but yeah, if you get get it too ripe, maybe you don't. You know, it, it won't be the best. But um, wow, Jeff, that's good. Louis said, "Oh yes, we also want to hear about your move out of California and into the mouth of another lion." Well, it's it, yes and no. Uh, Right now, this in uh, we moved to the you know New York, but uh, actually it's uh, it's not in the city of New York, rural part of New York, which is very beautiful, more conservative, I would say, and uh, so yeah, we'll we'll have have find the time to chat about that more. Uh, Serene said, "Oh my God, during is." Painful, okay. <laughs> Larry said that this country is great because of patriots like you in the way. Well, thank you, Larry, and also because you, you know, Larry and uh, Louis and everybody, you know, a lot of people, a lot of folks here. So, yeah. And um, Jeff said that the Asian guy that sold it to me laughed at me. <laughs> Well, I I can imagine that, but uh, truly you are brave. But uh, I hope uh, next time you will you know don't let sit let it sit for too long, and you may enjoy that better. And out to New York is supposed to be beautiful, Jeff. You said that right, very beautiful. Uh, you know I can sh will share some of the scene sceneries here later. Uh, but it's uh, we just saw like the ducks or maybe that's goose just across the road like all the time a whole family and we have to stop car and let it pass and I cannot help just to take out my cell phone to film it it's and then we see the deers all the time they take people's backyard as their home so it's really beautiful scenery here very different from California. So, and yes, the gas price is just so different. Although I heard people here saying that uh, two years ago, the gas only, only is about like a little bit over $2. Now it's about, um, average speaking, I think here is about $4.80, which is still better, much better than in California. Yeah, Jeff said the geese do that in Minnesota also. It's super cute. Yes, and that reminds me of uh, back in Iowa City when we just, you know, came to this country. I've mentioned Iowa is like my home state. And during uh, the time in the uh, University of Iowa, we always see those uh, geese or ducks, uh, you know, around the pond. And uh, back in China, if, you know, those geese or ducks, when they see people, they will just run because otherwise they may be caught. And 
you know, be in the in the walks, right, on the dishes. But here in you know, whether it's in Iowa City or here in the rural rural New York, the geese and ducks they just walk and uh, and they don't care people just uh, nearby. So I think it tells a lot about the difference between here and China. So All right. So yeah, it's time flies. It's almost uh, one hour now. Really enjoy. I hope you enjoy the show uh, here. And uh, so, well, appreciate. Uh, I think everybody here click the likes, and uh, really, really appreciate. Again, appreciate it, Daniel for your kind donations and support, and the Zoom, and also everyone here. Really enjoy having the show with you, and uh, so I think that's it for tonight. And uh, have a great night. Be safe, and uh, we'll see you on、um, next time. All right. Bye bye.